Very quickly to say that the um, those guys from 14 Words, you know, uh, they are they are proper, they're proper part of the um, like National Front. Are they? They really are. Honest to God, <clears throat> I've been a bit naughty. I've been listening to a little bit of that <laughs> Grub and Glory. I've been fascinated by it because there's all these different um, sections of like they call they actually call themselves National Socialists. Like, fucking, that's what Hitler called. Oh, Na- God. That was the proper name of the Nazi party, the Na- National Socialists. Oh, my God. You know, funnily enough, Dave, I was thinking about, I wanted to listen to that tonight. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, what should I download next? And I was thinking, oh, I'll well, see that... what that grub and glory is like. Well, I'll be honest with you, I've been bloody, I've not been downloading it, but I've been listening to it. It doesn't mean you endorse it, does it? It's does just. It? I actually think... Most of the things I listen to, listen to and like are left leaning, so I think it's occasionally. I'm sometimes I've listened to Farage on LBC Radio just to hear mm. that other perspective. Yeah. Because I don't want to just be sitting it. I want to know that what I think is right, you know. So it's good to hear an alternative point of view. Yeah. And go, oh, hang on, and then you can at least go, well, actually, they've got the facts totally wrong on that and wrong on that. You know what I mean? I know people see things far too much in black and white now, and they, they, they sort of immerse themselves in, in an echo chamber, don't they? Well, absolutely. I think it's important to hear. And I think, in a way, listening to some of this, I mean, some of it is quite entertaining. It can be quite funny, you know. And um, But it's also reassuring when you're listening to some of it, thinking, God, you really are very naive in your approach and your thought process with that particular thing or that particular thing. Yeah. Because they are definitely, they're definitely nationalists. They are definitely what you would call white nationalists. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. So they've got some pretty, really pretty bad opinions um, that don't really come through that to the same degree when they're doing the 14 words, obviously, which is can be quite entertaining. Again, you know, it's quite... It's quite entertaining to listen to a podcast as well. It's very loose, you know, yeah. very loose in the way it's done, yeah. quite amateurish in a way. And then in in the case of the the, the land of grub and glory, they're bringing in a lot of other people in. There's lots of voices, so it's a kind of eavesdropping on a, a mate's conversation or a, a friend of a friend's house party. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of quite a nice thing because a lot of podcasts are very stagey and scripted and one thing or another. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of nice to have that kind of, uh, it's kind of quite like this one called deep fat fried with these, these lads who are then very much of the left in America, even though they've got well-researched subject matter, it's done in a very kind of breezy free way. And they can go on for like two hours or three hours or whatever, you know, or like Joe Rogan's conversations that can go on in free form. And he's, that's very good. Because whether you like Joe Rogan or not, what he does is very good because he'll have people as extreme as Alex Jones to Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And he's had people like John Ronson and Louis Theroux. And, but he'll also have some right, right-wing British politicians as well as left. He, he, he claims to be left-leaning himself, but he lets the person talk so they can either dig a big fucking hole for themselves in the conversation or they can resonate with the listener, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not a fucking new soundbite. It's no. not 10 minutes or 50 minutes here or 30 seconds there like the news does. And you only get a little bit of the picture. 
he'll have these three hour conversations with somebody, you know. Well, you mentioned Louis Theroux there and Louis Theroux obviously has done a lot of documentaries on people who would be classed as extremists on the right, you know. He does it in such a brilliant way. He's so disarming in his approach. Yeah, he yeah. lets these people talk and, and he is genuinely interested to find out why they think what they think, but he's not judgmental, is he? So he's not like threatening. And I think that's what's missing now. That people on the left tend to be very, very reaction. I'm not saying all people on the left, because I'm on the left, but you know, there just seems to be this rush to judgment. No, it's reactionary, and it's it again, is reactionary, it's an, and it's, it's an echo chamber again, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. the, the left tends to be just preaching to itself all the time. Yeah, and it's, I think the it's right is this sort of puritanical moralism now, hasn't it? That is yeah. just so pervasive everywhere. But I think Louis Farouk is great because you do watch those documentaries and it, it, and he'll do it on white supremacists. I don't know if you saw that one where they thought he was a Jew. Oh, yes. Brilliant, that one. He won't tell him whether he is or not. Uh, no. Okay. No. And I think within that, there was these... It was really shocking to see at the time when you've got these two young girls who are about 10 or 11 and they're singing these horrible racist songs that they've been taught by their parents. Yeah, no, it's horrible. Uh, but what was so great is that he interviewed them like 10 and years later. And they're totally later. reformed characters, Yeah, aren't totally they? reformed. And I saw that, Lee. It was brilliant. I've loved his shows, his retrospective shows, mm. that have obviously been done on the fucking cheap by the BBC because of COVID. But actually... <laughs> That's been one kind of really successful TV show that that COVID's brought about yeah. because I don't think those thoughtful retrospectives that Louis Theroux has done because I've seen a few of them. You've seen the porn one and and I think they're really good because he and that that girl who was terribly addicted yeah. to drugs because he's got loads of empathy, hasn't he? And loads of empathy. I think he he is. If anybody is going to change somebody's view, yeah, it's, it's somebody like him because. He doesn't go in and attack people for what they think no. or what they do. No. He just exactly. genuinely tries to understand it. And I think and I think that's the interesting. He treats them like they are human. And I think he sort of views it as as a symptom of something, you know, a symptom of maybe some past unhappiness or some present unhappiness, which is why they end up with these extremist views or or so much hatred. Well, I think uh, what's interesting is whether it's from the left or the right, there's got to be some sort of way of finding that middle ground through empathy because what's interesting is you get, let's look at it from just like a podcast point of view or a or podcaster's point of view. So you'll get someone like, say you get the land of grub and glory. Again, it's an echo chamber. It's just a bunch of the same like-minded white lads who feel pretty angry about the fact that there's lots of Asians and, uh, Africans and Jews who they feel are like clogging up our country and that is pretty much what's going on in those conversations if you mm-hmm. I, I would advise you to go and have a listen to it and uh, you'll see exactly what I mean but but from the left so listen to Deep Fat Fried for example these boys very eloquent funny as they are once you get into it you know at first you can think they're being a bit juvenile but you realise how clever, like T.J. Kirk is and Paul Zego and stuff, Scotty Kirk. They really know the stuff, and they're very critical of like the whole police, the police and the Black Lives Matter. And, but you know, and and that's great, and it's interesting. And the same you could apply. This is why I was arguing against, say, someone like Ben Shapiro. You know, because Ben Shapiro will give you just his 
this is his solid, you know, right wing view of the mm-hmm. world. And he's very yeah. comp- and he's very good at it. Like you say, he's smart. He's eloquent. He knows. But there's no middle ground in the sandwich. You know what I mean? There's no yeah. there's no finding that little empathy. This is why you need the Louis Theroux's and you probably need the, the Rogans who will question. He is good with Rogan for that. So if you'll have Shapiro on, he will question certain things, but he will let them. But also what he will do is he will let them, someone like Shapiro, have a platform, but he'll also let TJ Kirk have a platform or Kyle Kaczynski or Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders. But he'll have plenty of people from the left and plenty of people from the right. And he'll yeah. probably have a few sort of liberal, wokey type people as well, you know. Who I think are in some ways the worst lot of all. Because oh, definitely. Yeah. This is the problem. The biggest problem that's been created in some ways in society is, and this is why we've ended up having this huge frustration creating the whole Brexit thing, is because of this sort of liberal wokeness. Instead of listening to people's frustration, you give pe- you give frustrated people the vote on something that they're really frustrated about. They're going to fucking use it and yeah. throw a fucking bomb against you. Well, I, I agree with that because I think someone made a really good point and he said that <laughs> Brexit was mainly about immigration, which everybody knows. But I think there was resentment and anger because whenever you wanted to bring up concerns about immigration, you were always classed as a racist. Woke people were just constantly saying, you're racist, you're racist, and shutting down any debate about it. That was the... Uh, giving them the vote for Brexit yes. was an absolute godsend. And I do think that that caused it because yeah, yeah. I remember somebody saying if Labour would have owned the immigration argument instead of just dismissing it and, you know, not wanting to appear uh, like they have any concerns about immigration, then people, because they were listened to or the left, you know, because I think a lot of people have drifted from the left, haven't they, to vote for Brexit? <clears throat> yeah, defo. Labour basically turned a blind eye to it and thought, oh, no, it's too controversial. We best stay out of it. You know, let the Farages give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves. But that didn't happen, did it? No. And fundamentally, Corbyn made a big mistake. You know, you've got Starmer going on about how you we lost your trust because of this, because of that. No, no, no. What they lost the trust of is that what Corbyn should have done if they want. In reality, this is the truth, I'm afraid to say. Corbyn should have come out and said, yeah, I agree that the EU are a bunch of like money grabbing, fucking self-serving bastards. Let's leave. Well, that, that was support, his view, yeah. wasn't it? Corbyn it was, was an anti, lied, lied. anti-EU. Corbyn's, Corbyn's not, a racist, not a racist. so. But he could have even come out and said, you know, I think as well, been brave and come out and said, you know, I'm not anything against Jewish people, but I've got a massive problem with the state of Israel. I've absolutely got a huge issue. And I think most people have. And let's get out of bloody europe and let's get out of uh let's get out of dealing with israel and let's start again i think people would have fucking jumped all over it yeah but politicians it, it, are afraid of being honest look at I this whole covid are. thing just totally afraid of it the whole reason why we're going through all this bullshit again is because they're terrified of things getting worse when really what should have happened was we should have had a brief lockdown way before march very brief, maybe for about a month to keep the numbers down and then gone, fuck it, let's go, let's follow Sweden. Let's follow Sweden and do what they do. And I don't think we'd be in the situation we are now. Well, I really don't. The thing about COVID, Dave, and th- this might be quite a controversial view, is that it kills far less people than 
other things, doesn't it? Like yeah, say the yeah, yeah. say the say flu. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. arguments now saying that there's less, there'll be a lot less flu than COVID deaths this year. Mm. That's what they reckon. So, <clears throat> you know, if flu generally kills more people or other illnesses like heart disease or you know drinking and smoking kill people, why do we not? take drastic measures to reduce those death numbers Absolutely. i mean it, you know it just seems a bit of a a weird thing that we have to shut down the whole country to prevent but, deaths from a certain condition okay the government which, can't say you're a bunch of fat fuckers you've been eating too much shit you've been yeah. boozing and treating yourself like shit you don't get out and exercise enough you're a yeah. bunch of fucking wankers. And that's why COVID's hit us so hard. And it's the same mm. in the United States because pathetic, fucking pathetic bunch of wankers. Can't say that, can they? You yeah. know, so they've got to go through. Take some responsibility. I mean, I don't agree with them blaming the public because I think they have completely fucked in so many ways. But Johnson's but, so embarrassing. I mean, what he said yesterday and today made me cringe because... He's saying, well, we're a, liber- we're a, a, a free country. We're, we believe in freedom, and that's why. And when I thought, what's his name? Starmer had him in. He's good, actually, at premise the questions, because he's, he's a former barrister, isn't he? And yeah. he was a good barrister. So he's, he's, he's pulling Johnson's chain every time at PMQs. And he said to him today, he said, what about the test and trace? Because what Sweden did was not go into lockdown, but have a really good test and trace system and protect the vulnerable and have mm. a test and trace system that worked so that people like Colombo, you could test and trace and say, okay, who have you seen? Yeah, you've got COVID and you've seen that person, that person, that person. Right, we're going to look at you straight away. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, you've got COVID, you haven't, but you, you two, you've got to self-isolate. Go on, get out of the way. Fuck off. That should have been really the key that should have been the key to it. And mm. they know that now. They know they've really fucked up. And he's flannelled around over that because it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes absolute sense that that would be the way to control it. You test people and mm. those that prove that they see that, that, that they've got it or, you know, may have had it in their system, you, you make sure they isolate for a bit to make sure that they're safe. And then you absolutely protect well, it's about protecting the vulnerable, isn't it? The, totally. You know, because most people get COVID and they're fine. I've had it and, you know, I suffered for a few days. But Do you, you know, know you've had it or have you had a I'm, test? I've not and I've not had a test. But you're I mean, this, sure you I had it in March. I'm definitely sure I had it because I had like the breathing difficulties and stuff. But it's like most people, you know, if they don't have any underlying health conditions or they're not hugely overweight, are going to be okay with it. So it's not going to be any more serious than the flu. And you could be one of these unlucky people that seem incredibly fit and they go running and everything, but there is something underlying in your system that doesn't cope with it very well. Yeah. And that's that's probably, you know, that is more than likely very rare. But that can happen with other conditions. So I don't know if it's a good idea to absolutely lock the country down, which is hugely affecting people's mental health it's affecting them financially Absolutely. and you know the government have tried to have this balancing act between keeping people safe which they're not really asked about they're just asked about the bad publicity from people dying yeah. and the economy and in reality we have to keep the, the economy going don't we, God, don't we? you because know the thing is 
whether you work in the public sector or the private sector, you've got to have some form of economy to keep things fucking going. Yeah. You've got to have a fairly vibrant bloody, um, private economy so that the public side of the uh, public sector can survive. Mm. Everything will just just disintegrate if we don't. I know, I know but know. the government are sort of fighting this battle where they have to satisfy the critics and be seen to doing something, where I think their instinct is, no, we should be prioritising the, the economy and we need to prioritise, you know, other things. You know, if people die, then they die like they die from other things. Every fucking modern-day politician flannels about because they don't want anyone to think bad of them and they and in in the end everyone thinks fucking bad of them yeah, they might as well do, do yeah they might as well do bold draconian things mm. just to get things going you probably get more respect for it in if the long run actually said right you know we're going to carry on as normal people are going to go to work this is the advice if you don't follow it and one of your elderly relatives dies then that's on you yeah yeah you know we've told you to keep away from them Keep away from vulnerable people. If you don't do it, that's your fault. And I understand that. I think most people have the common sense to. I don't know what they've got to lose. The take the precautions and not go and see people who they no. are, they know are you know vulnerable. And if vulnerable people decide to go out for whatever reason, it's the same risk that everybody takes. We yeah, know they go out, they can get mugged, or they can get hit by a bus or whatever. It's just part of life. I think we just need to learn to live with it. We've been to fucking Portugal and back. More the reason why we went away, because you and Michelle went away. Yeah. And we thought, we, we want some of that too, for fuck's yeah. sake. I'm sick of this. And do you know what? It was great. Exactly. It was fuck. I felt and safer. You survived, in... didn't you? You've not I... got COVID. <laughs> no. I felt safer in Portugal than I do here. You know, especially because, you know, you're outdoors all the bloody time. Well, the other thing is as well, when, you know, I, obviously I work in like, um, what the fuck? Hospitality. Oh, thank you. That's the word. I couldn't even think what it was called. And I've been fucking working it for God knows how many years of my life. Thank you. It's it's it annoys me that word because it's just like it's so the modern way of talking about working in the boozer, in it. Yeah. Hospitality. So yeah, front of house hospitality work. And this is the annoying thing about blaming the kids as well. I mean, kids don't, unlike the old people that come in a hospitality place. They don't fucking cough all over the place without putting their hand over their mouth. But the old fuckers do. Yeah. They're always doing it <coughs> and sneezing them because they can't get their hand to their mouth fast enough or they don't even give a shit. So as a consequence of that, you know, this is the other side of it as well. You know, it's bloody awful having to wear a visor. And now so, it's getting... Is that what you have to do? Oh, God, I feel like an absolute dick. You know, I'm, I'm wearing this fucking visor for six or seven hours straight. <laughs> And then starting from tomorrow, God forbid, I've got to wear a mask. I fucking hated the mask. I mean, I hated being on the plane with the mask. I kept pulling it down. And I've got to go and bloody work in a bloody mask. No. Why, why are they replacing the mask? God, don't the you know. with a mask. Pfizer's much better than the mask. I don't know why they're doing that. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> You can't, you can't see what people are saying. I'm applying for. I'm, I've, I've spent the last. I've been off for. Been off for a few days, and I, I've been applying for loads of other jobs now. I've fucking. Mm. I've had enough anyway. You yeah. know. But the bottom line is, is that it's uh, it's ridiculous. And now, and now, apparently, we're going to have to turf people out of the place by ten o three in the evening. You know. So mm. that's potentially. You know. That's potentially, maybe two hours per. You know, if you're working evenings, two hours off. Uh, your, your your normal wage. I, 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 personally, I don't really give much of a monkeys about it, to be honest. Mm. But it's just ludicrous. It's all to me is ludicrous. 
Um, just changing the subject a bit, I wanted to ask uh, whether you saw Des. Oh, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. And uh, actually, do you know what's on tonight? Appropriate adults. On. Yeah, I saw the the one yesterday. I did. I'm, I'm thinking I might go and watch a little bit of it now when I've come on mm. the video don't we? on the ITV plus one, you know. Yeah. Because I do think that's very good too. But yeah, I thought Des was great. Did, have you not seen it on my Facebook page, that picture of uh, they've put Common People by Pulp. Next oh, yeah, yeah. What did you think of it, though? I've rarely watched any BBC or ITV drama. I mean, I think ITV dramas are all the same, pretty much. Yeah, they're doing them. They, they do them quite tastefully, these, these serial killers. Yeah, it, it was... I thought Tennant was great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from the little footage I've seen of Nielsen, you know, there's that famous interview where he's... Yeah. I think it was in the 90s where he's talking to somebody in his cell and he just has this... It's, it's almost like belligerent attitude doesn't he and um yeah yeah played it brilliantly i saw this interview with this woman that became very close to dennis nielsen you know one of these sort of uh killer groupies yeah <laughs> and she said uh oh my god she was on i think she was on good morning britain and she was he, he'd left her his glasses oh god in the in his will right oh, and she was like parading them about but I don't get that at all. But anyway, uh, she said it was like watching a ghost. You know, it was. Uh, oh God, who said that? Really? That, to say, I thought I, th- I always think um, Jason Watkins is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was such a good actor. I was because when he came into it, I, th- I didn't know who he was going to be playing because I thought he obviously looked gay, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, right. he so I thought he might be one of Nielsen's former lovers, but then obviously. It became clear it was Brian Masters, and yeah. um, I do remember that book. I think Gav got it out of the library. Uh, yeah, that's my older brother, um, Killing for Company. I never forgot that. Uh, I've never read it, but I've always been fascinated by the Nielsen story because uh, he is, apart from Shipman, the most prolific serial killer, isn't he? I think he's still bored. He's second in line, stuff. isn't he? 15 yeah. stroke 16, they say, because I think he's confessed for a 16th. Yeah. And Shipman's like 218. I mean, Ch- Shipman yeah. blows everybody away, doesn't he, with his... I know, but I'm not sure I class him as a real serial killer, is it? I mean, you know... He, he I don't know. It, it, it was a bit too mundane what he did. You know, gave them an, <laughs> inj- gave them an injection, you know. I think what's really creepy about Nielsen, and I think Nielsen in... Nielsen is so... So strangely in keeping with what Dharma did as well. This is the other thing. Dharma yeah. and Nielsen, there's such a parallel universe going on there. You know, the I wonder I if uh, Dharma was aware of Nielsen. I don't know. God, it's weird. He could have read the book theoretically, couldn't Because he? there was you know, there was the one that got away with Dharma, and there was mm-hmm. the one that got away with Nielsen. There was this this idea of this idea of not necessarily enjoying the process of of the killing. That's true, yeah. But it more about the possessing the, them. The possession and the desire to have them with them. That is really that is really fucking odd. And a real mm. kind of almost a, a kind of subculture of serial killers going That's on. That's right, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's very strange, you know. Yeah. And um that came across very well in the in the, in the dramatization. The idea mm. that he wanted them, they wanted to look at the bodies and he wanted to enjoy them. You know what I mean? Obviously, uh, you know, having a good old wank while well, he was putting them in different poses, I assume. But 
there was that kind of obsession with the the male anatomy which i think was really there with dharma too and that idea yeah. almost like taking a pleasure out of like keeping them in different places and boiling them up and keeping the bodies before in, in nilsson there was oh, that ridiculous desire to get caught in the end no doubt about it because he, mm. he complained to his landlord about the smell for fuck's oh, sake oh did he yeah he yeah. complained well, didn't he tried to cover it up by saying he had a Kentucky Fried Bargain Bucket. Yeah, something like that. He was, he was relieved. He was relieved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, and then this idea... Maybe of, he just got sick of the smell as well. And it's, you know, it's so easy to forget he was a copper. He was a bloody yeah. copper himself. Jesus Christ. I think one of the most disturbing aspects of the Nielsen thing was when I heard about the fact that he used to put makeup on to make him... I mean, he denies that he, it was to make himself look dead. But he put like, yeah, he talcum made his powder face on his look face, ashen, yeah, yeah, didn't he? To make himself look like a corpse. So he says it was just to make himself look different. But he used to position a mirror, I yes. think, whilst he was having a wank. Yeah. So he could look at himself in this, you know, this dead persona. I mean, that that's really, and it, and it comes from his grandfather, doesn't it? Because he was very close to his granddad, and. That was the first time he saw a, a dead body when he was he went to his granddad's wake. And I think that was something that, you know, really stuck with him and really influenced him. Well, I think it somehow kind of in this weird way it stimulated him too, because I think Yeah, there was maybe maybe if that. it you know, they do say if it happens during puberty. Yeah. Because a similar thing happened to Dharma, didn't it? That he started to get obsessed with what was inside animal bodies. You know, and he'd be obsessed with the bones and started opening them up to see what was inside. And that sort of got mixed in with his sexual fantasies. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. I think I'm sure this is what's happened. Crazy. The other great comical thing about the Nielsen is uh, the prog rock angle. Oh, yeah, no, he loves <laughs> They didn't make too much of that in no, but he, he mentioned. I think he just mentioned Tommy, didn't he? he the mentioned Tommy. Oh yeah, I sat him down and listened to Tommy. I said, yeah. hey, come on, you've never heard this before. This is this is classic. I would have quite liked it if they were like talking about Camel and uh, ELP and King Crimson yeah. and uh, yes. Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. So I put yeah. Mountain on, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the Weekend oh, World him. theme. I sat him down <laughs> to listen. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great tune. I yeah. sat him down, and I sat this lad down who I was going to kill later, but I sat him down, and thank God he got a chance to listen to Topographic Oceans by Yes. <laughs> he get a bit angry that they were the only one listening to it, because he used to put headphones on them, didn't he? And then yeah. apparently he'd go into a rage, because he wanted to listen to it as well, and strangle them with the headphones. <laughs> Fucking mental. Oh, total mentalist. But that was really telling that bit when t- in the in, in the dramatization when Tennant turns and he goes. Sometimes I'd sit there looking at them and they'd go, you know, you know, suddenly go, God, it's a, I've got a corpse in my room. What the hell am I doing with my life? Yeah, I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe this is my life. Must have been, and it's kind of tragic, really, because it's like, no, I mean, not only has he taken the everything away from somebody, you know, their entire life, their future, their everything. He's there, just think, you know, just this pathetic, isolated person that's just completely fucking destroyed his own life. Yeah, do you think it was 
loneliness or his inability to form proper relationships. I think it's like a huge, like you were saying about the the freakish, freakish sexualization that he'd gone through through puberty. Or, I mean, there's a lot of like the backstory that wasn't covered. Actually, there's quite a lot that's talked about um, listening to that 14 words uh, podcast where mm. that's quite good, where they delve, that guy Ian is quite good at researching stuff in there irrespective of their views on other things you know but um that was quite telling that he, he knew he was gay from quite a period of time and i think he was very affected and he's obviously there's the degree of sadomasochism going on there is that the idea of being a, uh, lonely the obsession with death you know i'm not a psychologist obviously but you know look at someone like peter moore as well there was like a real obsession with power and power and sadomasochism i think yeah control I mean, a lot of it is about having control, isn't it? I think a lot of it is this se- this sexualization about having control, and the ultimate control is someone's life. I'm sure, really, what it is, it's taking that idea of being dominant sexually to like the most ridiculous level. Yeah. So I think with Dharma, he was uh, not Dharma Nielsen. He was such a narcissist, wasn't he? I mean, he was a lot more of a narcissist than I realized well, he was. I think that comes with it. I'm sure that comes with it. Yeah, I mean, they do say all serial killers are narcissistic, but Nielsen, you know, wanting the book to be called Nielsen, and uh, he loved talking about it, didn't he? You couldn't shut him up. Yeah. Whereas whenever I've looked into Dharma, I've always had a bit of sympathy with Dharma because I think it's like these demons just seem to take over him and he couldn't do anything about it, and he knew he was a monster, and he he wasn't exactly proud or... Yeah, it was a much greater strength or, that he was... Or celebrated was. anything he did. He, he, You know, he, he, it's like when he was apparently killed in jail. He didn't fight back, did he? You know, he, he no. got, I deserve this. You know, I'm an absolute monster. I think that this is where Nielsen comes across as a terrible monster because he, he could come across as a very sort of normal kind of person. A bit sort of... A bit sort of... Uh, derisive towards people and sarcastic and yeah he was very uh, arrogant as well uh, arrogant and curt mm. but you know we all like people like that sometimes we all like people mm. who have that kind of com- almost like co- comic arrogance and you, you know they can and you can oh, have a aloof and you can have a proper good argument with and, and have a yeah. laugh with and you know and i think what's interesting about about Nielsen. This is the thing with the Dharma. Like you're saying about Dharma feeling con- confused. Dharma was very much like the loner and very much, I think, f- fucking confused. But Nielsen, and this is where when he tried to sort of play that he was he had mental illness or was insane or something, it's absolute bollocks because it's quite obvious he was so coherent and smart and very, very aware of what he was doing. He was going out. He was obviously going out to these bars and clubs in order to eventually, like the spider with the fly, find his prey, mm. bring him back, and ultimately get his get his reward, you know, which was to kill him and have them hanging yeah, about. Yeah, he wasn't. Flat. He never seemed to be fighting his demons, did he? No, he no. He was. He was like. He was, like, it, it, it yeah. was almost like even when he was arrested and wanted to get caught, he was accepting of it. He was totally accepting of who he was as a human being. Yeah. That is that is scary. That in particular is scary because there is no kind of like mania. No, of like no guilt whatsoever. Was no it? guilt. 
no sense of being bipolar or schizophrenic or anything. No sense of uh, being a lost soul and desperately sort of uh, hurt. I mean, maybe that's the classic example of like a narcissistic sociopath. Yeah, that's what he was, perhaps. But he was very, very coherent. He almost sounded like he wanted to care, but it just it wasn't conveyed in the, in his in his speech patterns or the yeah. way he presented it. With. I, think, I think what you said before about control, he, he was so arrogant that he felt that he had the right to decide what these people do. You know, he should have control over them. You know, uh, he is better than them. He has taken them in. He's looked after them. He's found them at when they're at the low ebb. You know, so he deserves to be in total control. And what was very telling as well is he, he was always using this idea of the government. You know, and, uh, you know, we're talking about like people on the left or the right being speaking in echo chambers. That came across with Nielsen. He was looking for a way to blame society and authority yeah. for him and what he did. He goes, these poor souls were in the street. At least I get. And that comes across very much in those in that three part series, because mm. he's saying that he's blaming the government. He, you know, he's saying, you know, like they were on the bloody street. They had nothing. And I took brought them into the flat. I gave them something. Yeah, but, but then ultimately he turns around and says, well, I, <laughs> but I took the life and I deserve all I get. Yeah, it's just a total fuck up. But I don't think he did think he deserved all he get, or he would have pled guilty, and and he pled not guilty, which was <laughs> just purely so he could grandstand and another thing that was just feeding into his narcissism you know having people try and prove it and and talk about what he did you know he you know and i know yeah. a lot of them do he can't shut up confessing and then when no. it gets to the trial he thinks no no i want my day in court you know i want people to hear what i'm like yeah but a lot of it was to do it was on petty reasons yeah he started off saying he did start off saying you know i want i want justice for these guys i want for the sake of them, you know, I want to help you as much as I can. I want to do as much as but I can. When it to came you. to the crunch, Dave, he thought, "No, I'm more important. Yeah, I'm exactly. More, I'm yeah. more interesting." You know, so he was never really. He wasn't a hint <laughs> of remorse. No, not at all. And look, you know, obviously looking for, always looking for someone else to blame. That's a disease yeah. in itself, isn't that it? That is. That really is. Yeah. That's a societal disease, right there. Mm.